Good morning. How are you today? That is good to hear. It is beautiful out here, and I'm glad that you're in here uh, so that we could worship uh, together. Um, I have a question as we, uh, as we begin. We're going to be continuing our series in Galatians, but I want to start with a question. That it's a simple question, not a lot of hard thinking, although um, it probably has some ramifications uh, on how you answer this question. The question is, when does a person become an adult? You've asked yourself this question before. Is it at a certain age, 18, 21? Any votes from the crowd? No. Is it, uh, is it when you accomplish something, like uh, getting your first full-time job? How many of you felt like an adult when you had your first real, the first real job? Anyone? How many of you have never felt like an adult there? Just, just <laughs> all right, I suspected that might be the case. Um, first job, move out of the house, get married, all of those markets. When is it when someone becomes an adult? You know, this is a, uh, a question that some of you chuckled at a little bit because uh, you know that our society is changing, and this is a question that people are asking. Uh, over the last 30 years, uh, the number of uh, adult children ages 25 to 34 who live with their parents has more than doubled. Uh, from 10% to close to 25% of uh, adult children, 25 to 34, living uh, in the home with their parents. And uh, folks who are interested in culture and folks who have people living in their basement, they want to know why is this? Uh, why is this happening? Um, uh, people have said it's because people require more education than they used to before in order to get jobs. Or perhaps jobs are just harder to come by. Um, some people have said that uh, because of moral changes that the incentives to move out and be on your own are different than they were uh, a generation ago. Um, or some people have said uh, it seems that the period that we used to call adolescence has grown and stretched longer and longer. Uh, people have given names to it. Some have just called it extended adolescence or uh, failure to launch syndrome. There's one. They're not getting launched and sent out. Uh, maybe arrested development, uh, if you prefer. Uh, they said, why exactly is this uh, that people who we think ought to be grown up uh, don't seem to be growing up the way that we expect them to? to. Uh, you know what? I, I am not promising an answer to that question today. I'm sorry if that has been a question that's on your heart. Uh, but this morning, I would like to consider uh, the spiritual form uh, of this same uh, situation. Uh, spiritual extended adolescence. Uh, we're going to be continuing the series. We're in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 26. We're going to consider verses 26 through 47 uh, tonight, or this morning, rather. And uh, in these verses... Uh, we're going to be continuing this argument that uh, uh, this uh, case that Paul is making of how a Christian relates to the law. Uh, Pastor Chris took a great big chunk of it last week uh, in talking about the law. 
And we want to continue with that as Paul's argument takes another twist. And I believe it is the twist that talks about uh, what it is to be a mature adult follower of Christ. Uh, we're going to consider this passage in three chunks. And I'm going to use the framework of growing into adulthood to help us to, to understand it. In verses 26 through 29, we're going to talk about what it is to be born into God's family. Uh, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see uh, what it is to be a, uh, a child, a young child, as God's family. Or maybe a better way to say it is to be what it is to have a childish understanding of being in God's family. And finally, in, in verses 4 through 7, we're going to talk about uh, what it is to be a mature adult follower of Christ, the type of follower that God wants and that God made us uh, to be. Uh, but let's begin by reading that first section, verses 26 through 29, Galatians chapter 3. It says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, Paul makes a bold statement, and it's one that's based on what's come before. Uh, you remember he's dealing with folks who are called the Judaizers, who say, you know what, to be really accepted by God not, you don't just have to have faith in Christ. There's a few other things that you need to do. You need to follow the law. And Paul, uh, who has just talked all about the law, that we, the big elephant that we uh, digested last week as best we could, he says, you know what? I've been talking about the law. I just want to remind you that you are sons of God. And how did you become a child of God? What does it say? It says, you are a, all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That you became a child of God. Faith is the entry gate to being born into God's family. Uh, it wasn't anything else that somebody asked that, it, that was required of you in order to you become uh, a child of God. Faith is what got you there. And the point that Paul is making is that you are there. You are uh, you are a child of God. And there's nothing that you can do that can make you more of a child of God or less of a child of God. Through faith, you are a child of God. Now, it does beg a question, though, at this point. It says, what exactly is faith in Christ Jesus? What is faith? Uh, is it praying a prayer? Is it repeating some certain words uh, after a preacher? Uh, is it walking down an aisle? Uh, is, it, is it having a, an affinity for Christ? You know what? Christ is, a, is attractive to me. Uh, I, I learn, he makes me a better person. When I go to church, when I read his word, I feel like it makes me a better person. Is that what it is to have faith in Christ Jesus? Well, as we discover what it is to be a full-fledged adult child of God, we, we are growing our understanding that Faith is much more than any of those things. While those might, any of those things might be part of the process, uh, might be part of, becoming a, of being a follower of Christ, faith in itself 
is entrusting myself to someone else. In the case of Christ, it's to say, you know what, my sin which separates me from God, I'm going to entrust someone else to take care of that sin. And I'm going to entrust myself to, uh, I'm going to entrust myself to them to take care of me. Uh, he says, through faith in Christ Jesus, you have become uh, a child of God. Now, this birth into God's family is, is bigger than we like to think. Notice in this passage a couple of things. One is, how many different, uh, pardon me for being grammatical on you, prepositions are used to describe how we relate to Jesus? All right? This is going to make you look in your Bible, and you're going to have to look at the actual words and think of parts of speech. Uh, I live with a former English teacher, so my apologies. But you're here, I'm here, we're going to do our best. Um, he says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we have faith that is in Christ Jesus. Then he says, for all, that all of you who are baptized into Christ. So you are baptized into Christ. You have clothed yourselves with Christ. So we have in Christ, we have into Christ, we have with Christ. At the end of verse 28, we see that we are one in Christ Jesus. And then he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Faith in Christ, with Christ, in Christ, of Christ, all of these things, belonging to Christ, all of these are, wa are ways of describing our relationship with Christ because of faith that has brought us into God's family. Theologians call this, um, try to summarize this idea of how we relate to Christ with the words union with Christ. It means that because of faith, we are linked to him, bound together, united with him. Uh, in other passages, it says that Christ is in us, and in other places, it says we are in him. And, uh, and, and really, it's, it's tough to make this totally concrete. Uh, I'd love to you know, make it in a nice package so we could put it. But this union with Christ has to do with a, a, of a binding together, a joining together between us that happens when we have faith in Christ. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, uh, on the negative side, I would say the significance is that some people think becoming a Christian means I like Jesus. Uh, or maybe they take it a step wiser. Uh, you know, I've kind of hired Jesus as an advisor. He's a consultant who I invite into my life, and he observes some things, and he makes some recommendations, but then I send the consultant out the door, and then I choose what I'm going to do. Have you ever met anyone who treats Christ? that way. Uh, Christ is a, is a temporary, part-time consultant who might have some good things to say, and I might choose or not choose to obey him, uh, but ultimately, I do what I want. Christ says to be born into my family through faith is not taking me on as an additional advisor, one more voice to speak into my life. Union with Christ means that we are becoming uh, closer together. Um, I think of it as the process of my will and passions coming together with the will and passions of Christ. They come, uh, they are being joined together. Uh, when we are united, they are not yet together. But in the process of sanctification, my will, my passions, they become joined to what Christ's are. How can we understand that? 
Uh, to be honest, with, with apologies to my wife, who is not present in the room today, which is always useful, uh, the best illustration I have of that is marriage. Uh, if you know Rhonda and I, or you know one of the other of us, Rhonda and I, we do not think alike. Hardly ever, uh, to be honest. We don't. Uh, illustration. Last night, I, I was trying to, uh, she gave me a great illustration. Uh, we've had a very busy summer with kids going to camp and family staying in our house and vacation. Wonderful things, but really, really busy. And in my way of thinking, okay, we have VBS this week, and if we can get through VBS, whew, that would be great. Then I'd just like some quiet time alone to myself. That would be great. My wife, who doesn't think at all like me, you know what she said last night? You know, it's, my, it's uh, Brunya's birthday, my sister-in-law. Can we have her over? More people at our house. That's what goes through my mind. I didn't say that out loud because I have been married for 18 years. And so... My wife, she loves people. People are energizing. People are fun. She wants to grab all the fun and energy that she can from people. It's wonderful. My, I just don't work that way. I really don't. We are two very different people. But as I said, we've been married for 18 years. And in that process, when it's working well, which is a lot of the time, a lot of the time, not all the time, a lot of the time, when it's working well, our will and our passions come together. And so when I'm confronted with, where in the world is this, ah, this woman, what is she thinking? Doesn't she know how busy we are and how much we, see how I transfer my will and passions onto her, we need some time of quiet? No, she doesn't really need it. And so me as a husband, I say, you know what? What is the best thing to do in this situation? Uh, and the best thing to do in this situation is for my will and passions to to blend over and do what my wife wants. And so our will and our passions, if I said something that I shouldn't have, you know what I mean anyway. So I, Cozy makes me nervous uh, over there. Our will and passions, they come together. Not that my lose my personality in her or she loses her personality in me and we become the same person. That's not the case. Some people think that's what Christians are. They all become identical, and so that I'm the same as Paul and Joe and Lee and Larry, and we all have the same because we're all becoming like Christ because we're all the same. No, it's I'm united with Christ, and so by will, what I choose to do and my passions, what I care about, they become more similar, but it gets worked out through my individuality, and we are going to see that in this passage uh, as well. Uh, birth into God's family. It happens by faith, but it results in a union with Christ in which my will and my passions are becoming like him. Uh, well, this is a hard concept to, to grasp. So what exactly is the practical ramification of this? What exactly does this mean? Uh, Paul gives one right here in Galatians. He says, you know what? Because you are a son uh, of Christ, you are his child, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, some people take this passage out of context, and they say, yep, God eliminates all differences, especially that male and female difference. That's one of the things that our culture uh, can't really grasp, that difference that is there. Uh, but remember, that's not the context. 
what our culture is dealing with is not the context that Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking to a group of Christians who have these folks called the Judaizers who said, you know what, it's wonderful that you put your faith in Christ. And you know what, if we could just change your diet, have you celebrate some holy days, and have we mentioned that circumcision part yet? Did we talk about that? If you could just do those things, then you could be full-fledged part of the family of God. That's all the, the, just those three little things. If you could do those, then we could be full-fledged families of God. And Paul says, no, you are sons of God. And because of that, there is not Jew or Greek. There's not male or female. There's not slave or free. There are no second-class kids in God's family. You have as much standing as a Gentile as any descendant of Abraham. That is what he's saying. Uh, there is no second-class citizens in God's uh, family. You know what? Uh, if you delve into this, uh, if you look closely, uh, Paul wants to make this very intense and personal. There are six times in these three verses that he uses the pronoun you, that he's talking to you. If you look at the verses before this passage and the verses afterwards, the pronoun that Paul usually uses is we. Um, it's as if before, when he's making his argument, he's stressing the common ground that they have. You know what? These things are true and how we understand the law. It's we, we, we. But then when he says, you know what? I'm bringing this to a head. It's not that it's not true of Paul, but he says, I want to make this personal to you. Remember, you are children of God. You have equal standing with every child of God who is around you. There are no second classes. Now, this equality is not the same as sameness. Uh, I, do, I do have to say that uh, at this point. Uh, the Bible, the same Bible that has this verse, says in Revelation that God has a future plan for his Jewish people than he does for Gentiles, that there's still a difference in God's plan but they have equal standing before God. In Ephesians 5, he says there are different roles and responsibilities in a marriage relationship for male and female. There's differences, but there's equal standing uh, in the presence of God. In Philemon, Paul talks, talks to a slave and he says, you need to go back to your owner because you ran away and that was wrong. And he talks to an owner and says, you need to treat your slave as a brother in Christ. Uh, but he doesn't, destroy the distinction between them. Equality is not sameness, uh, but the equality is about our standing before God. It means that we all approach God as equals. There's no insider track. It means that there's no special requirements for some Christians that aren't applicable to others uh, that you have uh, to be in the inner circle. But ultimately, I think what he is talking about here, it's how we treat each other. In Galatia, there's people who are saying, you know what? to be really in, to be really accepted by God, and I suspect by us. We need you to follow some of these Jewish laws. And into that, Paul says, no, through faith, you are God's son. You are God's daughter. That is what you are. Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. And in fact, he adds it in here in a, in a way that he doesn't really even have to. He says, male or female, no. You're God's child. Slave or free, you are God's child. In our society that is very aware of class and who's up and who's down and who's above and who's lower, uh, who's got the right clothes and who doesn't, who, 
uh, is a little bit cleaner than someone else. We know who we want to. Paul says, no, we all approach God on equal footing. And that's when we treat each other, we treat each other in light of that because we are all sons of God. Our birth into God's family, it comes through faith, it results in a union with Christ, and the result of that union is that we have equal standing uh, before our God. You're in the family or you're not in the family, but once you're in, you are God's child. Paul says, your child, don't forget that. You know what, as you deal with all, remember that you are a son of God. But then he said, you know what, let's, let's dig back in. Because some of you, having been born as a child into God's family, you're still struggling with what it is to be a, be a faithful child in that family. And some of you are saying, ah, to be a faithful child, there are some laws that you need to follow. And so let's, let's continue reading in verses 1 through 3. He says, what I am saying, he says, all right, I, I'm not shifting to a new point. Let me put this in different words so you can grasp this. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, all right, so this is the son who is the heir of the estate. As long as he is child, really, in some ways, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Now, let's, let's stop right there. Uh, the analogy that Paul is using is one that um, is really not difficult for us to understand, but it is foreign to our experience. Uh, because most of us do not live on an estate that we have servants on. How many of you would like to hire some of those servants? You could. Some, that would be great. It's kind of foreign to us, because uh, in our house we got... Uh, the servants are, the husband serves the wife, and the wife serves the husband, and the kids, well, we're shifting more and more over to them as we can, but that's pretty much how it works. But this is written from a, a, a Greco-Roman society where the norm was property owner owns large tracts of land. They have a family who is their blood relatives that they have, and then they have many slaves who are working in the fields, um, serving as a blacksmith, uh, but also some of those slaves or potentially servants would be in charge of managing his household and even the care of his children. And uh, the words that are used, the guardian and trustee, uh, the trustee is probably the person who is um, managing the physical affairs of the house. The guardian probably has some... Uh, connection to the family uh, more so. And what Paul is saying is he says, you, well, let's continue. Uh, he says, when you were children, it's almost like you're still a slave because a child doesn't have full authority over the slaves and the house. He can't buy and sell property. A, a young child can't do any of those things. So in a sense, he's like a slave. And then in verse 3, he says, So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Now, what does he mean by basic principles? This is a, uh, this is a, a word that actually, if you, there's probably different translations represented here. Uh, it's translated different ways. The word stoica. Uh, if it's used in an education setting, it basically means the alphabet. 
the ABCs, it's the basics. If that word is used in the physical world, an ancient person would use it to talk about what they saw as the basic elements of this world, earth, wind, fire, uh, and water. Uh, that would say they'd, how they'd use. Some translations will translate this uh, the basic spirits of the world. Uh, and they take that to mean that he's talking about uh, sp- people who worship the earth, the wind, fire, uh, those who worship the god of water, those, there's spirits behind them. And so he said, you know what, you might be in slavery, you're in slavery to the basic spirits of the world. I don't take it that way, although some translations do. Uh, I believe he's saying that either as a Jew or a Gentile, at one time, you were entrapped and enslaved uh, by some very basic understandings. But God wants you to grow beyond them. Um, I take it similar to how he uses the same word in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. When he says, since you died with Christ, uh, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of that word, that's that same word, stoika, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul says you used to be uh, a slave to certain principles and rules that you had to follow, but they really didn't have any ability to restrain your ability, your indulgence. Flipping back to Galatians, here's the heart of what he's saying. He's saying, you know what, you have Jews who are telling you that you need to keep the law in order to be accepted by God. He said, what I say to you is their way of thinking is childish thinking. It's blanky holding Linuses who want the comfort and security of a guardian's authority uh, over them. He said, "Uh, you've got to think about this differently. Uh, Sometimes when we we think of the law versus Um, If we have law on this side, we'll call it license. The person who says, you know what, I can do whatever I want. And we say grace is in the middle and it balances law and license. That that we've got to balance the uh, righteous demands of following God and the freedom that we have in Christ. And so grace and faith help us to balance those out. Really what Paul is saying is, there's license over here. Indulging your, your natural desires. I do what I want when I want. If I have a desire, I fulfill it. It's my right. I can. That's how a pagan was raised. You know what? All desires are good desires. My stomach desires it. I did it. If I have other passion, I desire it. I do it. Paul says that's, that's where you as pagans were. Jews, you come from the law. And the law taught you, you know what? Fulfilling all of your desires whenever you want them, that's damaging and dangerous. God put up moral laws and a moral code that is better for you to follow and is pleasing to him. And so the law teaches, teaches you. Uh, so rather than uh, law over there and license over here, he says there was license and then there was law. There were things for you to learn from your guardian, the law. But he said, what I'm calling you to 
is not to balance two extremes. I want you to get beyond slavery to passions or slavery to the law, and I want you to follow Christ uh, as an heir of the Spirit. God's looking for grown-up, mature children of God. He wants grown-up followers. What do I mean by that? Uh, maybe I can illustrate it this way. How many of you have ever had a child say something to you like this? I can't wait till I'm grown up because then I can do whatever I want. You don't have kids ever say something like that to you? You know what, then I'm going to eat what I want to eat and I'm going to go to bed when I want to go to bed and nobody will tell me what to do. You know what, kids really think that. But let me ask you a question. How many of you adults are waiting for that kind of adulthood still? Yeah, like that's, if that's what you were sold, um, you got a bad bill of goods uh, on that one. Uh, you know what, that's not what adulthood is. Adulthood is, oh, good, I can do what I want. There are certainly choices that are open to us as adults that kids do not have. But the reality is, being an adult means that I have privileges, certainly, but I also have responsibilities. I have responsibilities speaking for myself to a wife and to children, uh, for the care of my house, for the stewarding of the job that God has given me. I have responsibilities that I need to take seriously and do diligently to them because they were entrusted to me by God. And that's what grown-ups do. That's what adults do. Unfortunately, too many Christians, uh, too often some of us as Christians, myself included, uh, rather than act like mature, grown-up followers of Christ, uh, we would prefer to live in the land of, um, of adolescence. Where I, I ask questions more like, how much can I do and still stay within the rules? Christians ever argue about those types of things? Uh, or maybe uh, they're the sneaky teenager who says, you know what, I I'm going to sneak around and do as much as I can because maybe dad will not figure it out that mom and dad will never know if I do this. And so I'm going to enjoy my adolescence. Uh, actually, no, no, no adolescent actually says that. Uh, but they say, you know what, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, and I can, because that's, I just want to have fun that I have, and I just want to do what my desires uh, say. To them, I think what Paul was saying is here, he said, you know what, you can be a slave to your passions, you can be slave to the law and trying to work within the law, but what God really wants is he wants grown-up followers. He wants people who say, you know what? God has blessed me with union in Christ. And we're going to talk about more of those blessings in just a second. But he's put me in this world to tend it and take care of it, to be salt and light in it. And that's a, that's a big job. It's a great job, but it's a big job. And so I'm going to be industrious in doing his will as a grown-up follower of Christ rather than a sneaky teenager trying to, to sneak a few pleasures here or things over here that I know really don't please my father, am I really fooling him? Are we really fooling our father in heaven when we say, you know what, I'm going I'm to sneak around the edges and do the things that I want to do that I know that he doesn't? Is that, is that fooling him at all? Isn't he everywhere? Doesn't he know our hearts? Love us. Uh, I think what Paul was saying is, you know, you Judaizers who want to add more laws to this, that's a childish faith that's seeking comfort and security 
by, you know what, I'm keeping the letter of the law, uh, but anything I can do within the letter of the law, I'm willing to do. And he says, grow up. God has more planned for you. He has greater desires for you. What are those desires? That's what he gets to uh, in the last uh, four verses we want to consider. He says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. God's intent was that we would receive the full rights of sons, that we wouldn't be children trapped by the law, but we'd have the full rights of sonship. What are those rights? He says, because you are the sons, our sons, God sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Uh, he describes three different blessings that are a part of uh, the full right of sons. Before we talk about those, um, uh, there's a beautiful verse in here, verse 4, when he says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Uh, it's a picture to say, you know what, the God picked just the right time. It was filled, uh, filled with, to overflowing with rightness for him to send his son. Uh, what exactly does that mean? Some folks have suggested that it was because Christ came at the, the age and the height of the Roman Empire. Uh, a day when there was peace throughout the, the Mediterranean world, and there was a road system established by the Romans so that the gospel was able to be quickly moved from city to city through Paul and Peter and other evangelists that went out. Uh, that it was a time when the Greeks had brought a common language, and, and so there was an ability to communicate uh, with people across cultures and nations that uh, would have been unknown hundreds of years before that. Um, that even the fact that there were Jews and pockets of Jews in so many different cities uh, who were preaching this religion of a, a one God rather than many gods. And, and so when the gospel went out, that Paul could go and he could meet with these Jews and that could find a, a base, a foundation for him to preach the gospel. Uh, some folks have said, you know what, the fullness of time, it was just the right time in history uh, for Jesus to come uh, to redeem us. That may be the case. Uh, I don't know. Um, it seems to me that our day, it's, communication is pretty good, and uh, there's a common language as well, um, and there's a, a, a basis for communicating it. But what I do know is this is the point of time that God did choose to send his son to break into the world to redeem us who are under the law. God sent his son, born of a woman, fully human, born under the law. He understands the law that these Judaizers did. He's not ignorant of it. He knows it. But he came to redeem those under the law. And he did that because he wants us to have the full rights of sons. He wants us to be adult, mature, of age, sons of God. We do this. What do we have? He says three blessings. One, we have the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit guides us, not a rule book. The law is written on our hearts. Uh, the Spirit sent His Son, uh, or the, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Uh, it fulfills a promise that God made in Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34, when He said, you know what, God's going to make a new covenant. This is uh, 500 years before. Jeremiah says, God's going to make a new covenant with you, and instead of the law being written on tablets, it's going to be written on your hearts. And you won't need to go to somebody else to explain the intricacies of the law because everyone will know God. That's the promise that he made. This is the fulfillment of it. He says, God's spirit is in you. 
Uh, remember, uh, license says, I do what I want when I want. The law says, no, there's rules that you have to obey. God says, fully adult followers, they get to the point that they recognize that God's spirit lives within them, and they're going to listen to him, and they're going to will, and their passions are going to come together, and they're going to follow him. He guides us, not a rule book. Uh, secondly, because we have the spirit, he's the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Uh, Paul has to, Paul is speaking, uh, writing in Greek, and he says, you know what, I've got to pull a, a word from another language for you to understand what changed now that you're united with Christ. Uh, this word Abba is an Aramaic word. It's the word that was probably what people spoke in Palestine when Jesus and Paul uh, lived. And he says, this word is going to help you to understand how you relate to the Father. He said, this word Abba is the word that a child uses about their father. Some people have said daddy or dad. It's papa. He says there's a closeness and a warmth that you have. He says because you're united with Christ, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, because you are, you approach God as an Abba father. Uh, you don't go through to intermediary. Uh, you certainly don't need to, to talk to the nanny and get the nanny to talk to them. You come to a father who has warmth to you and receives you, who cares about you um, because he is warm. We, we have a father if we are adult children of God, uh, a father who still cares about us as we go about his will and his purposes. Uh, lastly, he says, uh, since you are no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. He says we have an inheritance. We have the spirit. We have the Father, and we have an inheritance. We are heirs of God's promise. Uh, some of this is in reference to the Jews who are saying, you know what, to fully get the access to the promises that God made, you need to do these extra things. Paul says, no, by faith, you are sons. And if you're sons, there's only one kind of sons. One kind of son. There's not uh, the good son and the bad son. There's not the, the full son and the partial son. There's just sons, and if you're a son, you're an heir. You're an heir of the promises. All the promises that God has made to his children, they are for you. His promise of forgiveness, acceptance and adoption, his presence in whatever is going on in our lives, direction. Uh, those are some of the promises that are made in this life, but there's also a promise about the life to come. He says, eternal life is yours. Eternity with the Father victory over the grave. These are all promises that God has made and you fully participate them on equal standing regardless of your nationality, your gender, your occupation. It doesn't matter. We have an inheritance and you are heirs of God's promise. God's looking for grown-up followers who rejoice in all the blessings that come from union with Christ, who recognize that they have the spirit to guide him and they, they listen to him and they allow their will to be grown to them, who come to the Father, because even though they're adults, they still have a Father who loves them, and there's warmth, and recognize the inheritance that they have in Christ. You know, my question to you as we conclude is what most characterizes your life? Uh, he kind of gives three categories through the course of this passage. He says some people are like slaves. They're dictated by their passions. 
They, they are compelled by that. There's, there's nothing other than their passions that do this. And while that seems good, it's really slavery because it's a dead-end street. Is that what is characteristic of your life? Uh, perhaps what characterizes your life is, is it possibly that you have a, a childish understanding of God? Uh, that childish that says, you know what, uh, I like the security and the comfort of religion, uh, but really, as long as I'm out from under the thumb of the rules, I, I kind of want to do as much as I can what I want. I, I'd, like to, I, I'd still like it to be playtime. Uh, I'm the sneaky teenager who really isn't a grown-up bearing the responsibility uh, along with the rights and privileges of being a child of God. Or are you a grown-up follower of Christ? Uh, a grown-up who says, you know what? God put me into this world. He's entrusted me with responsibilities in my home and to the world. And I want to do those with diligence and with joy because my father, my Abba father, gave that job for me. And so it is a great joy to be involved and serve. Uh, I'm not sneaking around behind my father's back. I am delighting in doing his work and in submitting to his spirit as he leads and directs me. Uh, you know what? I, I must confess uh, that sometimes I'm in that metal category. Uh, you know, when I, when I study for a sermon, like I enjoy dissecting it and getting out dictionaries and commentaries and trying to uh, dissect. I really enjoy that, that I do. Uh, but I got to the end of this message and, and said, you know what? I really believe this is saying, you know what? God wants me to be a grown-up follower of Christ. Uh, that I'm not just resting and, you know what? I have the external conformity to rules that can be fool a lot of people. And I said, you know what? I can, I can waste a lot of time and say, you know what, I, I'm tired, so I, I, I have a right to just, uh, just worry about me and my, what I want. I just want to do my own thing. And as long as I impress the people out there by keeping the law, you know what, that's good enough. But I'm the sneaky teenager who wants to do things on the side. And I said, you know what, I don't want to be that. God's called me to be a grown-up, mature follower of Christ. That's what he's looking for, what he wants, and what he knows what is best for me. And that's what he wants for you as well. Follow him. Be mature. Listen to his spirit. If you're a grown-up follower of Christ, live like it and follow him. Because it's the life that God called and enabled us, and it is the life that he desires for us. Now let's bow in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Uh, I thank you that it is, it is deep and rich, uh, but it is also compelling uh, and calls us uh, to walk closer with you. Uh, Lord, I do pray as we have spent some time that we would rejoice in our sonship, uh, that we are your children, sons and daughters of God, fully accepted, equal standing before you, and we just thank you so much for that. Uh, but I pray that we would not live as, uh, as young children in your family, but we would desire to follow you and be involved in your work as grown-up followers of your son. Uh, Lord, it is what you have called us to, uh, and it is the life that, uh, that you have for us. We just, uh, it is good. It is good because you're a father who does know what is best for us. We love you. Lord, as we head out uh, into this next week, uh, I pray that we would take your truth to heart and that it would shape uh, the decisions that we would make, uh, that it would 
you would prompt us, and we're prompted by your spirit, uh, to be compelled to draw our will and our passions close to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.